welcome to the Arthroscopy Association's Arthroscopy Journal Podcast. The views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of the Arthroscopy Association or the Arthroscopy Journal. Greetings, this is Rob Hartzler from TSAOG Orthopedics in San Antonio. Today on the podcast, we have a guest who needs no introduction, Dr. Matt Preventure, shoulder knee and sports medicine specialist at the Stedman Clinic in Vail, Colorado. Dr. Preventure, welcome to the podcast. Dr. Hartzler, thank you very much. Today, we're going to be discussing your article from the October 2019 issue of the journal entitled, Characterization of Posterior Glenoid Bone Loss Morphology in Patients with Posterior Shoulder Instability. Dr. Preventure, congratulations on the article. Tell us what you learned about posterior bone loss. Yeah, Dr. Hartzler, first of all, thank you so much for uh, having me on the uh, program. It's a great honor to be here, and I think this article uh, really helped me and and I think our research team understand what's really going on in posterior glenoid bone loss, and also to highlight a lot of the differences we know between anterior glenoid bone loss. So it's, it's 40 patients, and these were all patients, it seemed like, that eventually underwent surgery. Is that right? Yes, all patients underwent surgery. Yeah. Do you have any idea about how many posterior instability patients might have come through your office that, that, didn't, that might have had bone loss that didn't undergo surgery? I mean, how, do, you, do you know what percentage of these patients from just your general posterior instability practice there, there were? Yeah, you know that that's a that's a great question because many times we can correct posterior instability with rehabilitation and stabilizing the scapula, working on the subscapularis, which is actually one of the most important dynamic stabilizers, and we tend to overlook that a little bit, especially in posterior instability. So we really tried a lot of rehabilitation first in in many of these. Uh, the way my practice. Uh, flow and, and setup was for this is many of the patients had done a lot of that stuff already, but many times you still have scapular issues, dyskinesia, subscapularis weakness, which is important in posterior instability and other things. So I would say the vast majority ended up going on to surgery, but mm-hmm. there are certainly maybe 20 to 30% that, that didn't were able to cope with, cope with posterior instability. It looked like you had a new measure of bone loss. You know, typically we're thinking about the percentage of bone loss measured by various means, but you introduced this idea of the posterior slope. What was the um, what was the impetus for that? What what we found was we can't look at this like we all know how to look at anterior glenoid bone loss. Now we started looking at the at the images. We started looking at really good high quality three D. CT reconstructions, and when we put all these patients together, we were then able to see some characteristics and trends that these patients all shared, and that was basically the the posterior bone loss. We we had to start looking at it much differently than we do from the typical way of anterior bone loss or surface area of just amount of loss missing because the bone was there most of the time. It was just eroded in the back. And do you think most of these patients are the attritional type of bone loss? I mean, were there any, you know, reverse bony parts in this group? There were very few. You know, to be fair, I think there were maybe one or two that it's interesting. When you scrutinize the CT, you can actually see a defect on some of these folks that 
healed medially, a posterior defect that healed medially. And you can mm -hmm. see the, the healing fracture line on the axle. You can see the step off and you can see then how it becomes smooth. And then you end up with this uh, posterior uh, angle relative to the uh, glenoid. And we think that's what's important versus just the anterior-posterior width or the percent of bone loss missing in posterior. We think it's that angle and how long that angle is, a long sloped angle versus an acute angle. Uh, we think that's one of the major issues in how these patients do. And a lot of these were 3D MRI scans. It looked like, to me, there was a bit of a difference in the way that the slope came out between the CT, 3D CT versus 3D MRI. Um, any thoughts on that? Do you think the methodology is equivalent in, in those measurements? Yeah, this is something that's uh, near and dear to my heart because of what I've learned about this in, in terms of how we either work with our radiologists or our technicians in formatting the MRIs and, and CTs correctly. When you get down to the 3D level, say the 3D CT scan, that's absolutely true. That, that's exactly what the patient has. If you have these 2D reformats, 2D coronals, 2D even axles, if they're not taken in the long axis of the glenoid, meaning from the 12 to 6 o'clock position, whether it's MRI or CT scan, we can be fooled. And that's why when you're looking on your axle CTs or your axle MRIs, it, it just doesn't look right, it, especially as you're scrolling through the bottom of the glenoid. If you look at that sagittal and you see where the cuts go, they're usually about 30 degrees off the long axis of the glenoid. And that's why you don't get a good picture of what's going on because the cuts are not perpendicular to the long axis of the glenoid. So once you're able to reformat that, we were actually able to be pretty close from MRI and CT, but I, I think CT still from a bony standpoint uh, remains supreme. Mm -hmm. So you think uh, 3D, is, 3D is the gold standard? We, you know, as surgeons, we should be basing our decisions off of that information. Yeah, I, I think a combination. I think of a re good formatted uh, 2D can help you a lot. The 3D, mm -hmm. usually there's a, an associated cost. You have to deal with that issue and, and potential insurance issues on that. But it definitely can help you. But a, a well-formatted 2D that has the cuts coming down perpendicular to the long axis of the glenoid from 12 to 6 uh, really helps quite a bit. And, and that's actually where we picked up, after we reformatted things, that's where we picked up that posterior slope issue. Mm -hmm. So in, in the discussion, you talk about that management must be appropriately tailored given the distinctiveness of posterior glenoid bone loss. And you've got, you know, the, the issue of the posterior slope, you've got the issue of the the percentage area of bone loss. I know this isn't the subject of the of the article, but any any tips, any rules of thumb that you use in your practice on you know, making a decision for doing a, a bony reconstructive procedure based on that information. Yeah, I would say, you know, first and foremost, these are managed arthroscopically first. If, if we, if the bone loss is not extreme, I don't have those exact numbers. Unlike what we are getting at with the anterior side, I don't have those exact numbers for posterior. However, we have had numerous patients with posterior instability not do as well as we want, have recurrent symptoms, whether it's true instability or pain with provocative activities. So in those that have a slope defect or a posterior defect, then we'll think about bony reconstruction. I have done many of these uh, initially, especially when they have 
a significant sloped uh, defect, but I certainly love trying arthroscopic stabilization first uh, to see if this gives them enough of a static improvement in their stability such that they can improve their dynamic stabilizers, which we all know is much more important in, in all types of instability. So you're keeping the cards close to the vest there. No numbers, huh? <laughs> You know, I think when you're in the 15 to 20 percent like, range, I won't yeah, you. in terms of that, <laughs> maybe I don't. It's hard to tell, and and it's it's almost a, uh, you know, honestly, you got you to look at the patient, and it's not yeah. just. It sounds like what you're saying to me though is that prime, in the primary situation, you're 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 going for arthroscopic, you know, posterior bank heart repair, um, and not 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 worrying that much unless it's extreme about about these attritional bone loss issues. Is that is that what I'm hearing? Uh, yeah, I think so. Because we've had really good results in these patients, even with some of this posterior erosion. Now, mm -hmm. I may hang a little more crepe and say, listen, this may not be the usual 92, 89% good and excellent outcome that we see with these. It might be a little bit less. But in my mind, I think it's still worth it to start with a very well done arthroscopic repair, as long as it's not that big, larger, extreme bone loss. And the other issue with that is that when you start looking at the morphology of the defects of anterior, which we are very good at reconstructing those, whether it's Latterge or iliac crest or distal tibia, other types of bone grafts, because that defect is a cliff. It's a 90-degree angle relative to the face of the glenoid. Posteriorly, you're having to do a lot of work or shape the bone graft at an angle to be able to fit these angle defects, which most of them are. And that's what I think one of the major highlights of this is if you're going to think about bony reconstruction or you have a failed arthroscopic repair, that that morphology of the posterior bone is not just like doing a, a front graft. It's much different in the back to be able to put this graft in, make it fit properly, get it reconstituted for the native glenoid as best as possible. It's, it's a much different bone procedure. Well, congratulations again on the article. I know that represents a tremendous amount of work for you and the team there. So we look forward to uh, continuing to see the results that, uh, that come out of this. Dr. Hartzler, great pleasure, and uh, you know, thank you very much for uh, all you do for the journal. Appreciate it. It's a great product, and enjoy reading it every month. Thank you. This article from the October 2019 issue of the journal, entitled Characterization of Posterior Glenoid Bone Loss Morphology in Patients with Posterior Shoulder Instability, can be found on the Arthroscopy Journal's website at arthroscopyjournal.org.